alarm for 8 o'clock. Siri. Hey, Siri. You know what I mean? It's, it's an intentionality to get something set. And this is talking about setting our minds. It also talked about being sober-minded. Sober-minded. Um, as opposed to, uh, what? Drunk? Where your mind is a little bit loose or completely off kilter, right? So the idea is sober your minds. Set your minds. Gird up your mind. All these things about your mind, your thoughts. What kind of thoughts do we need to be girding up? What are our loose ends? What are the things that we need to pick up? Thoughts about doubt. Thoughts about delay. Thoughts of discouragement. Diversions. Or past defeats. Our minds are so easily... So easily wander, right? But there's a, a fitness here that's being pictured. Get your mind ready and set. And it, it also talks about what it's supposed to be set on. It's supposed to be set on the hope. On the hope that we have. The hope that will be on the grace. It says, set your hope com- completely on the grace to be brought to you. Setting our hope completely. And the completely, I mean, they don't, li- they don't leave a whole lot of room for, for, for error. You know what I mean? It's, it's all of it. Get your hope fixed on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The revelation of Jesus Christ. When you see Jesus for who he is, and he shows you who you really are. There is a glorious, you know that song, that song that says, um, I can only imagine, right? That picture of what am I, what's it going to be like when I see you face to face, when I understand who you are in all of its fullness and its glory. There's also this picture that started, uh, Peter started developing about the, the inheritance, the grace to be brought to you. There's this inheritance also that, that we have in Christ. The salvation has brought us into a family and a co-heir, a participant in the, the inheritance of the saints and the, the treasure. You know, we talk about um, laying up treasures in heaven. And on that, on that day... When we see him face to face, and uh, not that we're going to be clinging to our treasures, they might feel kind of worthless, but we're going to give them right back to Jesus again, right? And so there's just, a, but the, the picture of the inheritance that we have, all these things, this grace, and the, just the beholding the glory of Christ. Um, the awareness, really, it's the becoming fully aware, right, of God's worth of his complete holiness, of his majesty, of his authority, all at the revelation of Jesus the Messiah. All right, so our new living hope, the reality of this this present salvation, the revealing of Jesus the Messiah, it's all a glorious thing, and it compels us. It's like he's saying, so so wake up. Let's go. Get, Get with it. Sober up. Think about this. Your old way of life, 
You can't do the things you used to do. Your old desires have got to go. This new hope compels us towards a life of holiness and fear of God. So let's consider your redemption. You've been redeemed for a reason. Our redemption frees us to love. That's the direction we're going, and that's an overview of the, of the entire chapter. This new hope compels us towards a life of holiness and fear of God. So consider your redemption. There's, you were redeemed for a reason, and our redemption frees us to love. So here we go. We're going into verse 14. Are you with me? Verse 14 says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires that, of your former ignorance. Don't conform. Don't conform. Don't mold yourself. Don't align yourself with the desires that you had before. Before you, when you lived in, in the ignorance, when you did not know, you did not understand, and you did not comprehend the worthiness of God and the salvation that has been declared. Don't conform to the desires of your former ignorance. Verse 15, but, so instead, but as the one who called you is holy, you are also, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. Instead, be holy in all your conduct. Be holy. We're going to talk about holiness and in all of our conduct. And that too is very comprehensive. Does Jesus care about holiness? You know, we have a, a base, our base, like, like human nature, our flesh, it seems very interested in reframing the things that God asks for us to do. I mean, it would be nice if he just said, uh, in all your conduct, be loving. Because, boy, we could attach a lot of definitions of what it means to love. You know what I mean? Be holy. Be holy. You know, we, we like to reframe God's expectations, but we have to wrap our mind around what he's actually saying. And his holiness is a part of his character. In fact, verse 16 says, For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. For it is written. So it takes us back to the Old Testament in Leviticus where it says, Speak to the entire Israelite community and tell them, Be holy because I am holy. Because I, Yahweh your God, am holy. In Leviticus 27, he says, Consecrate yourselves and be holy, for I am Yahweh your God. This is God's word. Be holy, for I am holy. Why does he want us to be holy? Because he's holy and more. And that's what we're going to talk about in the next section. But let's just define holiness for a second. Holiness it has to do with being separate from worldliness. For us today, as New Testament believers, God's people are called to holiness. It involves being distinct from other people. It always has meant that. When God created a holy nation, he created the Jews, and he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call you out to be my holy people. You are my holy people, my priesthood, and therefore you will live 
this particular way. God's holiness relates back to his character. This is seen in the command to separate from other nations, from everything that can compromise commitment to the Lord. Separate yourselves from everything that can compromise commitment to the Lord. So in the New Testament, believers are called to distance themselves from the ways and the values of the world. The ways and the values of the world, which can be dishonoring to God, destructive to obedience to him. So why is holiness so important? Because we're in his image. Thanks, Dennis. Why is holiness so important to God? Yeah? Yeah. We're his image bearers. We're carrying forth his image. That's good. Real good. We're going to look at verses 17 to 21. Verse 17, it says, And if you address the Father, the one who judges impartially, based on each one's work, you are to conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your temporary residence. I really believe this next section kind of gives us the the, the reason, and uh, it starts to talk about the redemption that we have in Christ. Holiness, living a life of holiness, is so that our lives testify to the redemption, the salvation, which he just so miraculously like unveiled. He made, he, he made this salvation known. And so we're going we're gonna to follow the, the thoughts here um, as, they, as they progress through these verses. So in verse 17, And if you address the Father, the one who judges impartially based on one's work. So, it's almost as if to say, if you call him father, don't forget that he's also judge. I really think that maybe this passage, this section, is really helping Peter communicate to uh, the, all the people in this region, all of the modern-day Turkey, right? Pontus, Galatia, Bithynia, um, Phrygia, all these, all these regions within Turkey. And he wants them to understand, what is this new relationship between... I mean, I understand the salvation with Jesus um, that you've been declaring, that I've heard, that's been testified. And, like, and what does that do with the, with, with the Father and, and, and Yahweh and, and everything that we, we knew from about Judaism or we've heard about Judaism? I don't think that, I mean, I think a lot of the audience that Peter's writing to is the Gentile, um, you know, believers in this, in this region. And they're, they're wrestling, like, what, what is this relationship look like between father and son and they're trying to put the pieces together and they don't have the the scriptures as we have them written and so peter i think is engaging this who is this christ and how does our relationship to jesus mix with our relationship to the father what do we do with christ and the salvation and everything we've heard about the way it was before so if you address the father Addressing the Father. You know, I know some people who, who really want to get to the Father. Yeah, Jesus is important. 
but he's only a means to get to the Father. And I know others who only want Jesus. Yeah, the Father's important, but didn't he send Jesus to be the way, the truth, the life? Just, just Jesus, forget the Father. But it says, if you address the Father, and do we address the Father? Yes, we do. And the Father, as we'll see, um, is, well, I mean, obviously we know, is, is one with the Son, and, and that's what Peter's trying to get them to. But he, he brings, he really ties it back, back together in just a, a few minutes at the end of this section. So I wanted to bring up that question. I love how this section, if you address the Father, you're not just addressing the Father, you're also addressing the judge, right? And he judges impartially based on one's work. And so our work is going to be made manifest. Our, wor- our work is going to be seen. We are going to give an account. And, you know, woe to him who doesn't have an advocate in those moments, you know, whose, you know, name isn't written in the book and who has not believed on the name of the Son of, of God, Jesus, and what he's offered. Because he can step in and say, yeah, I know that's where, I know that's, that's, that's on his record, but I, I've taken that. What does this look like? I've taken that. And this, this process of redemption But before we get there, you are to conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your temporary residence. Temporary residence. I like this little section. It's an awesome way to me of saying it. This is your temporary residence. Don't get too comfortable. This is good news. Some of you guys who are itching to leave California, right? This is good. This isn't your home. But don't be fooled. Wherever you go... That's not your home either. And this is a temporary residence that we're living in, right? We're here as a temporary residence. And while we're here, conduct yourselves in fear of the Lord. The Lord, knowing who he is and living your lives in light of all that he is and all that he says. Verse 18. Let's go on, and we're going to find all these things I promise you are coming up in verse 18 and so on. So, verse 18. This section holds the reasons given for why you ought to conduct yourselves in the fear of God. Why ought I conduct myself in the fear of God? Or why should you conduct yourself in the fear of God? And the first answer is because... I'm redeemed, or because you are redeemed. So 1 Peter, verse 1, 18. For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life inherited from the Father. And so here we have, it says for, for you know, and that's, that's what clues in. These are the reasons why. These are the reasons given. He said, conduct yourself in this temporary residence while you're walking this earth Conduct yourselves in the fear of God, for you know that you have been redeemed from your empty way of life. And I've called this whole section, 
you've been redeemed for a reason. But what is redeemed? Redeemed has to do with kind of like a, it's like the Roman slavery in the, in the Greek word, the slavery situation of uh, being bought back. You know, you could, you could have free men, you could have slaves, or you could have freed men. And the freed men were those who someone has come along and paid off the debt. There was lots of ways of becoming a slave. It could be through your own choice. It could be through a bankruptcy. It could be all sorts of things. And usually you had the hope of getting out of um, slavery at some point. You could pay off that debt. And you could be, uh, or somebody else could pay off your debt. And redeem to pay back, to pay to pay off that debt and to, to buy you back into freedom that you had and that you um, were born into. So because of the redemption, the fact that we have been offered a redemption and we've experienced redemption redemption going back to this salvation because what was it we needed to be redeemed for redeemed for yeah sin and all of its consequences in fact in hebrews it says sin the sin that so easily entangles and it so easily creeps into our thinking it's so it's so present in fact we're slaves to our sin we've been made like we're, we're stuck without a way to really avoid it right and this redemption this salvation because like you you couldn't get Maybe you can do a little bit to improve your situation as far as sin, like maybe not sin as much or maybe not. But like once a sinner, like you, you're always, you're, you're a sinner and that's on your record. And before a holy God, a God who's holy, what are you going to do? He's like, yeah, I, I sinned a little bit, you know, and not as much as, you know, the last person that was standing in front of you. No, it's God's holiness has to do with his complete otherness. His complete separation and his worth and his majesty, it's all wrapped in there. And when you come before God, the holy God, and you have any, you, let, let's just imagine, you standing before the holy and righteous God. Without Jesus Christ and knowing that he's paid your price, boy, what, what standing do you have? You don't get to stand. You stand condemned. It reminds me of Romans. It says there's no condemnation for now that those who are in Christ Jesus. Because we were objects of wrath. The right place for us to go and to be dealt with is to be out of God's presence forever. Because of who he is. And his holiness. But that's not the way he wanted it to stay, and so he sends the salvation. We learned about it last week, and I, I, I don't want to walk through the entire, um, the, the entire story. I'm trying to say that he, the salvation story was to buy back, to redeem you, or you could use the word reconcile, to bring you back into relationship with God, 
the Father so that you can live with him and know him and have life in him. And of course now we're still, it doesn't, I mean, our citizenship changed, you know what I mean? Our home changed, our eternal destination changed, but here we are living, living this life. And he says, so while you're here, let's get, all your, let's get your mind all straight, sober-minded, get ready, fix your mind on the hope to come, live in holiness, in the fear of God, because you've been redeemed. That's where we're at right now. You've been redeemed. You've been redeemed not with something perishable, but imperishable. Do you see that? Not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with imperishable. Does that matter? Absolutely it matters, because if you were redeemed with something perishable, something not of great value, then it was, it's just, it, it might not stand the test of time. Subject to corrosion or distraction or opposition. But why ought I conduct myself in the fear of God? Number one, because I'm redeemed. But number two, because it wasn't cheap for God to redeem you. So let's look at verse 19 together. But with the precious blood of Christ. You were redeemed. You were bought back with quality. The precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. The quality of our redemption has to do with its purity and the eternality the precious blood of Christ, or like a lamb without blemish or without defect, uh, blemish or defect, which reminds us of the Passover lamb, right? I mean, this is where this imagery comes from. Why would it talk about a, a lamb? And why is the, what's the matter if the lamb had a blemish or, or defect? And they were asked in the, in the Old Testament um, when they were stuck in as, what? Slaves in Egypt, Right? They were stuck there. Could they get themselves out? No, God was going to get them out. In order to do it, That he needed blood of a lamb that was perfect, and it needed to be placed over their doorpost. And as such, the night of the Passover, the Jewish young boys, the firstborn in the line, were not killed. They were spared and everybody else lost their firstborn. So this imagery of the Passover and the blood of a lamb who's blemish-free is anchored, rooted through in the Old Testament, and it's a theme throughout the Bible. So why ought we conduct ourselves in fear of God? Number one, because you're redeemed. Number two, it wasn't cheap to redeem you. And three, because redemption dealt with your sin problem. That was the whole point. I want to go back to John 1, verse 35. This is when John the Baptist was baptizing 
disciples in the river. It says, again, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and noticed them, following him, he asked them, what are you looking for? And he said to them, or they said to him, Rabbi, where are you staying? So, you know what's funny is this, this one that I picked out is not the narrative that actually says, like, the, it doesn't record the next part. I wanted a part that was like, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's what I was looking for, and it's actually not in the, this John 1 uh, reading. So you're going to have to trust me on that or look in your, uh, what do they call that, your parallel New, New Testament to find the, the one that actually records the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Because what I was trying to, to find is a verse where it, it um, says that it was our sin that he dealt with, right? And there, there's so many of them. There's so many of them. And he, so like, we'll just mention 2 Corinthians 5. It talks about he became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Like he took on the sin problem on himself. He himself was blemishless, without defect. He did not sin, and yet he died on a cross at the hand of sinners, and on that cross he bore the shame and the disgrace of your sin. The shame of your sin. And I know some of you guys are still trying to hang on to it. The shame of your sin. You're still trying to pay the price for it. But you have been redeemed. And you've been redeemed with something so precious. And that redemption dealt with your sin problem. These are all reasons why we should conduct ourselves in the fear of God. The last one is, it's because... Redemption is a God thing, and it keeps you oriented towards God. I was thinking about this. Hebrews 9.14, it says, How much more will the blood of the Messiah, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our consciousnesses, consciences sorry, from dead works, to serve the living God. The blood of the Messiah. See, it was all there. That verse has it all. Everything we needed. How much more will the blood of the Messiah, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, he will cleanse your conscience from dead works. So not only has he forgiven, but he's restored you to a place where your conscience can be clear where he can actually forgive you to a place where those wounds can be cleaned out and they can heal. And where the, the things that you're carrying along with you and, and, and that bring you shame or that Satan brings up in those moments and you're like, oh, I'm so embarrassed about that. Why did I do that? Or like, you know, like, or Satan wants to bring you down. Who are you to think that you can, can serve God or move forward in life? 
or have a healthy relationship. Who are you to think so? Right here, you've been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ, and it dealt with your sin problem. And because of the fact that it was his sacrifice, it was his power that raised you from the dead, it was all him. It was all God. Your redemption is a God thing, and it keeps you oriented towards God. He's the one that has saved you and redeemed you. And so, so that is how, that, that's why it should keep our focus on fearing, living a life that aligns with who God is, his holiness, his ways. We're going to look at the next two verses, which I also feel like emphasize the, the source of our redemption. But we're also going to get our last, um, well, maybe I'm not going to promise anything because I'm not sure it's going to happen anymore. I thought I had a fifth point on that one. But where we're at is verse 20 and verse 21. And so if you'll go there with me, we'll continue. So it says, He was chosen before the foundation of the world, but was revealed at the end of the times for you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and your hope are in God. And there's a couple things, a couple little, like maybe like, ways I want to look at this passage with you. And one, I want to go back to a conversation that we were having earlier about the, this, this relationship between God and, and Son. And, and as believers, how they were supposed to picture this and, and, and interact with this. And who are, they, who are they worshiping or who are they praying to? Like, is, this, is Jesus different? Is Jesus something else? Or is this, you know, and so I feel like there's some th answers here. And so... It talks about this word that is, it's like better, better understood as the word manifested, revealed. It talks about he was chosen before the foundation of this world, but was revealed, right? A better word might be manifested. He was manifested. Observe the difference in tense. Foreknown versus um, manifested. This is just complicated. I, I uh, am reading this quote right now, and I'm thinking, let's just let's just not let's just not go there. So I'm sorry about that. Um, we're going to I'm going to pause here, get my bearings. What I'm really trying to talk about right now in verse 20 and 21, I'm just going to like push my notes aside. I want to I want to encounter how Jesus is the source of this redemption and he dives in and he talks about Jesus being being um, always known as the source of redemption it was always known it was foreknown that this was going to happen that Jesus was going to redeem and to be the redeemer and at this point in time it has finally become manifest it's finally become known to to the church to, to the group of people who have who've just recently within the last 10, 20 years, heard about Jesus Christ, or maybe 
you know, I don't know exactly when Peter's uh, letter gets to them, but we know that Paul had spent so much time traveling up there, and you have Priscilla and Aquila, and you have Apollos traveling through these areas in Ephesus, and, and, the, and the message has just gone out, and there's so many that are believing and accepting, and, and God's word is, is just penetrating hearts, and people are, are coming to, to worship. And so they've encountered for the first time, the, this gospel that has been manifest. I thought it was interesting in that, in that passage Let's continue into verses 22. Uh, we'll start at 21. So it talks about who through him are believers in God. He was chosen before, verse 20, he was chosen before the foundation of the world, but was revealed at the end of times for you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. And see how it's addressing what I was talking about right there? Like, God is the one that talks about the Father giving him the power, raising him from the dead, giving, bestowing upon him glory from, a, from a, a temporal perspective. God is the one doing these things through this, this man, Jesus, who was foreknown from way eternity past so that your faith and your hope are in God. And he's trying to help them connect that believing in Jesus is putting your faith in the eternal God. I think that's cool. It's your belief in the Son, the Jesus who lived in the flesh, died pouring out his own blood that makes you a believer in God. God's action. God's the one that raised him. God's the one that gave him glory. In order that, so that your faith and your hope are in God. So the source of our redemption is God's sacrifice, it's God's power, and it's God's glory. So that's how our redemption, it fills us with faith and hope in God. So what are the results? What are the results of our redemption? So verse 22 through 24, and the result of this hope and the redemption that we have is it, is it frees us to love. Redemption works itself out in love, and real love takes purity. So verse 22, by obedience to the truth, having purified yourselves for sincere love of the brothers... Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. Okay, so I'm going to go through that again slowly. By obedience to the truth, having purified ourselves for sincere love of the brothers, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. When you're impure, 
are you able to operate out of love? When you're impure, are you able to operate? Is operating out of fear? Is it love? Is operating out of lust? Love. Is operating out of insecurity? Love. Is operating out of shame? Love. Mostly? I mean, you want to say like kind of some of, some of the time. I mean, I'm trying to be loving, but like I've got these things, these, these things that, that ultimately can taint it. They can rearrange it. And they can mess it up. How does operating out of purity help us love? We often speak of love. You know, it's the great hope for mankind. We all just love. If we could just be a loving world, right? You know, no wars, no conflict, no expectations, no religion. Let's all just let love be our guide, right? The problem is love is an ideal. It's been tainted by our human weakness, our self-centered nature. It's been messed up by sin. Like, read this, 1 Corinthians 13. I was reading this with a friend this week. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not conceited, does not act improperly, is not selfish, is not provoked, does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Can you do that? You need what only Jesus offers through redemption. You need forgiveness of sins, purity of heart and mind, and a clean conscience. Purity helps us be sincere, right? When you're pure, you know that you can be sincere in your words, in your love, in your embrace, in your actions. Purity also gives us earnestness. Do you see that in the text? Purity gives us an earnestness, like a zeal, a passion for sharing for expressing affection, brotherly affection. We should all be growing in this area of showing brotherly love, brotherly affection, familial love to one another. Purity aligns us with who we truly are as born again. Purity realigns us as if back to that place of being a brand new babe, born again, made new, a new creation, a new mind, a new heart. So I think that there's part of us that are, there, there's times even as believers that we have to get back. It's not like we need salvation again. It's like we need to operate once again in, this, in, the, in, the, in the river of, of purity, how do we do that and how do we get there? Well, we know about redemption and, the, and salvation and the, and the time like when, when God saves you and he, he secures your eternal future and, and you're justified and you're declared righteous, 
And you're like, okay, well, I'm declared righteous, so I can just live a life of filth. No, we can't. We're being sanctified. We're being made holy. We're being made to be more and more like Jesus, right? And so we can pray and say, God, I confess my sin. And we have a God who is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. You know, if you claim to not have sin, you're a liar. These aren't my words, right? So we have the opportunity to go back to the Father every morning. His mercies are new. And you go back to the Father and you say, Father, you're right. You know, even Satan's right about this one. I screwed this up. But Father, thank you for what you have done. And you wash yourself, you cleanse yourself once again and ask for, you confess and he cleanses you and you're basically coming clean again. And you can move forward that day in purity. And you can live there. And you can quit getting mucked up is what I was trying to think of. You can quit getting, you know, getting yourself into these situations and we can grow. That's what this whole thing is about. Purity affirms, it testifies to the gospel message. This is the other thing about purity. So I've said about purity, number one, it helps us be sincere. It gives us an earnestness and it aligns us with who we truly are as born again. And finally, it affirms and it testifies to the gospel message. That redemption produces lasting change. Why am I talking about lasting change? We're in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. If you remember, it says, by obedience to the truth, having purified yourselves for sincere love of the brothers, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like a flower of the grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached as the gospel to you. So purity and living a life of love it affirms and it testifies to the gospel message that redemption can produce, uh, can produce lasting change. If I'm born again, it means that he died for my sins and has bought me back, redeemed me from a life of darkness, given me a new life, made me a new creation, given me a new spirit within and a new way of life. But then if I conclude that this new life can be just mired in all my old weaknesses and all my old selfishness with my own pursuit of personal happiness, you know, and let that be at the steering wheel. Well, haven't we just proven or I proven that God's word doesn't last, it doesn't endure, that God's word, his gospel doesn't have lasting effects? The whole point is, if there's hope of this new salvation that has redeemed me and then I live however I want to live, however I want to define God's way, 
then the gospel of hope isn't really any hope at all. Because the hope that we have is that there's a real possibility for change. That he can truly make your heart new. And that you can truly walk in the freedom of having been forgiven and being a child of the living God. That's our hope. That's the living hope. Okay. So in conclusion, we're going back to the beginning. It said, therefore, with your minds ready for action, be serious or sober-minded. And set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So here we have it. So gird up your minds. Be ready for action. Set your hope on the glorious future. Start setting yourself apart for God in the way that you choose to conduct yourself. So what needs to be girded up? What needs to be girded up? What aren't you being sober-minded about? Set your mind for action. So what's your plan for 2022? How are you going to set your mind for action in 2022? To set it for your mind and your hope on the grace to be revealed in Jesus Christ. I just want to end with one verse, Psalm um, 8611. And it's one of, uh, a verse that I really like. It says, in the NIV version, it says, Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I might fear your name. And that's what it's really about. It's about our hearts. And the reality is, is that we can start to live with hearts that are divided. We can start to desire what the world offers us, trying to cling to what Jesus promises us. And this prayer is, God, teach me your way. Give me an undivided heart so that I may fear your name. And that was our encouragement this morning, right? So I'm on the same path with you guys. I want God to give me an undivided heart so that I can live set apart for the Lord. Amen? Uh, let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we praise you for who you are. We thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, and we thank you for your Spirit who speaks to us. We thank you for your word that testifies and tells us, reveals who you are and what matters. I ask that you would be glorified, Lord, as, as we, your church, we align ourselves. Lord, I pray today that as people um, here or watching at home, consider what it looks like to set their hope completely on the grace to be revealed by you and, and therefore live a life in fear of you that compels us to love others from a pure heart. I pray that you would be stirring in us. I pray that we would grow in you. I pray that this could be a year of growth, a year of change, a year of impact. 
In your name, we pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.